going to start this week's message with an announcement slash commercial. Because especially this time of year, there's four to five times as many people that listen to this online later than, than gather in person. I think that's wonderful and a real testimony to the people connected to our church. But this Saturday is the seventh annual Lake Leadership Conference, and I've kind of debated the name a little bit because even though it's it's a leadership conference and I think the original mission was to talk to the leaders of the church, we also recognize that what the church is, right? And we are all leaders. We're all spiritual leaders in the community or should be. And that's why this is an opportunity. And this year's theme is is based on the scripture of the man standing by the water, right? And he was waiting to get healed and people just kind of kept cutting in front of him and he was just kind of sitting there and, and couldn't get in. And, and, and Jesus says, you know, don't you want to be made well? And so this, this year, we're going to talk a little bit about complete wellness, wellness in, in every aspect of our lives. And um, it's going to start at 9.30 with some, some light breakfast and stuff and some fellowship. But at 10 o'clock, starts an opening worship um, and, and the, they're going to talk about church wellness, right? And we're talking not about just about congregational, but the body of Christ wellness. And, and my partner is Ron Trimmer, um, who's at Lake Ozark, and, and Chance McMullen, um, who's from uh, Westlake Christian Church, will be leading that. And they're, how they're going to do this is kind of interesting. I almost call it, if you've ever seen like dueling pianos, they're going to have like dueling sermons. And I'm kind of excited, excited to see what they do with them because they're, they're a little different in their delivery. And, and if you, last year, um, Ron Trimmer did a thing on Bible study and he did a really interesting uh, way to teach Bible study. So I'm, I'm excited to see that. Um, and then there'll be another session. And, and this is where the groups break out. One will be on community wellness, and this is what we do in the community. This is our, our stewardship. This is our uh, care and nurture. And Bill Fogelsong, um, who is out of Eldon, and William Brown, who's also an amazing pastor. Actually, they all are. I don't want to discount anybody uh, out of Camdenton are teaching that. And opposite of that, Sherry and I will be teaching one on individual wellness. We'll be talking about physical health and taking care of ourselves and mindfulness, right? The mental and, and emotional wellness. And then we'll have lunch. This is all free, by the way. Uh, the CWF of that church is providing the meals for everybody. And there'll be some table talk, we call it, right? Just some conversations to have around a table. And then the fu- after that, then you'll do the other one. If you want to see Sherry and I for individual, individual wellness, you'll, you'll go to community and vice versa. And then we'll close with worship and, and communion. And the whole thing ends um, at 2 o'clock. So we've shortened the whole thing just a little bit. Um, but it's really neat. Uh, it's, it's really a fantastic opportunity. And I hope everybody will consider coming. Um, it's, it's important to be there for our own nurture. And it's important to be there because we're promoting Christ in the community. And, and Golden Beach is a, a viable part of, of that here as well. So that is, that is the commercial. You'll see something like this without all my handwritten notes. Um, it was on the newsletter last week. I'll put it again this week. And it is open to people outside of our church as well. So um, if you need a ride, let, let someone know. If you need anything at all, let, let someone know. I don't want there to be any reason someone can't come if we can help that. But again, it's absolutely free. We've shortened it by about an hour, which should help. And this year we won't have a nice storm, so that should help as well. But this morning we're going to conclude, conclude the message series, Relevancy. And each week, the past three weeks, we've talked through certain assets of our faith and asking this question, is this still relevant? Does this still matter? Do I need this? Maybe even what's in this for me? And there are times that those questions have been hard to ask and, and even harder to answer. 
How am I doing with this thing? Is it because I don't think this is important to apply to me anymore? And as we've discovered, the number one reason that people set aside their belief in God is because they don't think that he's relevant to their daily lives. I can do this on my own. He doesn't work and act like what we read about in scripture, or I don't understand the way he acts and works. And this has affected everything in the community and the world from our diligence in praying, right? How often and how long we pray. The frequency we open our Bibles, giving credit where credit is due for the blessings in our life. Being engaged as a part of the church, right? This global body of believers. And most importantly, our willingness and desire to have a relationship with him. You know, that is, nothing has been more detrimental to that than to think that we don't need to have that relationship or it's not important. But this fourth and final week, we're going to explore the relevancy of the Savior. Now, a Savior is someone who saves, right? And as such, we can think of examples. We've seen where athletes have saved the team from defeat. CEOs have saved a failing organization, all kinds of of worldly examples. But yet this word Savior still seems to carry a good amount of reverence, where some of these we've kind of dumbed them down, right? Love and, and, and... faith and, and belief, but, but when we say Savior, we kind of hold this word with a, a special place in our heart. So when we hear the word Savior, we don't think of a Savior, like a lowercase s. Often we think of the Savior, capital S. We reserve this term for the most important of rescues, and, and rightfully so. So looking at the uses of the word Savior throughout the Bible, we find this to be true in biblical accounts as well. Throughout the First Testament, we see God himself called the Savior as a proper name, not just an adjective, not something to describe him. It's a part of his title. It's who he is, not just what he does. And this is particularly common in the book of Psalms. And and one in particular, the 42nd Psalm, is written like lyrics to a beautiful song with, with a refrain being repeated three times. It says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within you? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. My Savior, my God. God, time after time, rescues people from slavery, calamity, and ultimately from themselves. Sometimes he did this directly. And sometimes he called someone to be a Savior for his people. And perhaps the most widely known of these people is Moses. For 430 years, the Israelites, they were not yet a nation, but a group of people, They had been enslaved in Egypt when God raised up a savior for his people, a reluctant leader that despite his speaking impediment became the mouthpiece for God as his people traversed the wilderness towards freedom and the land that was promised to them. And the first Testament records a history of mountaintop moments, both literally and figuratively that these people experienced as well as many temptations and trials and an overwhelming sense of uncertainty. How much longer? How much longer? They were asking right out of the gate, how much longer? And probably right up until that 40th year, how much longer? Likewise, the people were fickle in their faith and appreciation. It wasn't long after they'd gained their freedom from Egypt that they began to complain about being led into the wilderness to die at the hands of Pharaoh's army. And my Savior, my God, saved them. The complaint that they had been led in the wilderness to starve without even the menial scraps that they had in Egypt. They said, at least there, we got the scraps from the tables of the people that were beating us. And again, my Savior, my God, saved them. They felt like it was taking too long to get good and clear instructions from God. So they they made their own rules, and they, they built their own altars and golden gods to worship sometimes. 
And my Savior, my God, didn't destroy them. He saved them from his own wrath. For generations, the Israelite people would continue this pattern of of behavior. We study this and we call it the the cycle of redemption or the the Deuteronomic cycle. It is a pattern of, of covenant and sin and deliverance that occurs again and again in salvation's history. The pattern can be summarized like this. I've got a kind of the slide. I'd shared this in the past. All right? God creates or enters into a covenant, and it is good. God makes a promise to us. Then humanity falls into idolatry, results in disease, war, and grief, right? And then the people cry out, Lord, where are you? Save us, rescue us. Why have you abandoned us? And God sends teachers, kings, prophets, and others who lead the, lead the people to repentance time and time again. And then the people return to following the covenant. Oh, God, you saved us. Thank you. And then there's peace and God's healing return to the people. And there's this time of peace and prosperity and good relationship. And then we do it again. Right? The pattern begins with a time of faithfulness to the covenant that results in peace among the people. And over time, the people forget or become complacent or ignore the covenant. And they, they fall into idolatry and injustice and false worship. And as a result, the people experience negative consequences of these. And the people cry out to God for deliverance. And God delivers their people from their problems, usually through a judge, a king, or a prophet. And the people return to following the covenant in peace and God's healing return to the people. That's the cycle. And the final authors of the Old Testament historical books, writing in the 6th century B.C. and later, recognize this pattern in their history. And they brought this pattern out in writing and in editing. And the books that most clearly show these are the books that we call the, the Deuteronomic history, right? These are the books of Deuteronomy through Second Kings. And this is why this cycle is called the Deuteronomic cycle. But why am I talking to you about the First Testament when this week's message is about Savior Jesus Christ? Take another look at the cycle. Do you think it still exists? No, go back where it was. <laughs> We know God made his covenant. Thank goodness we don't fall into temptation or idolatry, right? This is something that we haven't, as, as a society, as people, has gotten ahead of yet. And we can ask questions like, does God still keep his covenant promises? Do we still blow it? Sometimes we had to break the cycle Something has to break the cycle for it to end, right? This is a this cycle. And there's a couple options that we can do, right? God could break his covenant. He can't really. But that would be one way, you know. And that's certainly not a good option for us if God just says, eh, you know, you're on your own. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to save you. I don't care about you. I don't love you. I don't want this relationship. Have your way with the world. God cannot and will not do that. But that is a way that that cycle could end. Humanity could stop sinning. Now, this would be a great option, right? It's the best option. But let's be honest, we don't have a good track record, even despite our best efforts of maintaining that for a long period. God could, could, hold, could withhold his deliverance. It's not possible. He made the promise. I will save you. I will rescue you. We could choose to not return, not to reenter this covenant on our part. We could, we could reject the Savior that he sends or lifts up or, or the goodness he does. So we can say, eh, right? That's not a good option either. So there seems like only good, good option. But God in his infinite wisdom had a better idea. Listen to the announcements of God's plan to break the cycle. Luke 2, 8 through 14. You might recognize it because we read it at Christmas. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said this to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Great announcement. A savior has come. God says, I've got a better idea. I'm going to give you a once and for all savior. Matthew 1, 20, 23 captures the same announcement given to, to Joseph. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The fulfillment of the covenant promise that keeps the cycle going. And Jesus didn't just break or end the cycle. He absolutely destroyed it, systematically dismantling it by simplifying the process to something you can understand and more importantly, something that you can do. You've seen this slide before, right? The, the Romans road to salvation. And this is such a, a simple way of, of seeing the problem and the solution. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, we're all sinners by nature and by choice. Let's be honest. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We received eternal life as a free gift. This is the Savior given to us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us, a sinner, unconditionally. But, we got, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? The cycle says we've got to turn it around before we say, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take control of this thing. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It says we must trust and surrender to Jesus our Lord. That's our part. And lastly, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our assurance of salvation is through Jesus, and the who for whosoever, everyone. You are a whosoever. The people you think of, whether you like them, don't like them, or whatever, they are a whosoever. And if whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. They have a Savior. So the question arose, do we need a Savior? Do you still see yourself subject to the cycle of redemption? And that's really a multi-part question. Do you struggle with the things that separate you from God? Do you struggle to accept the repercussion of your choices? Do you only cry out for rescue when you think you need it or after you've exhausted yourself with every effort and worry and guilt trying to do it on your own? Then you go, okay, God, I give up. It's yours. And he's like, what took you so long? Do you give God the glory he always deserves, but only when he seems to be going well for you, right? Maybe you get caught up in some of the details as the world understands them. And you ask yourself questions like these. Am I a good person? 
Do I really need salvation? Right? Most people consider themselves good, but what? But are we good by God's standards? Right? Well, they don't understand the need for salvation because I'm good enough. I'm not really a bad person. Is sin really that bad? Right? I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I don't do this or do that. It's not what the Bible says. It says all sin is bad. I'm too bad to be saved. How can there be any hope for me? Now, this is the other extreme, right? Like, I am not worthy. There's nothing I can do. Boy, you're missing the good news of the message then. How can I be saved? Did God accept me? These are, these are tough questions that people kind of wrestle with. But if you don't look for the answer, you don't see the hope. And what should I do now, right? I have good news for you. That cycle has been dismantled, remember? You are no longer subject to it. You don't have to figure out where you're at in that cycle because it's been abolished. You only have one decision to make. And it's not, do I need a savior? It's, do you accept your savior? And as with every part of this message series, the question to be answered has been a very personal question that no one can decide for you. God has promised, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive them sins and will heal their land. If my people, then I will. That is the covenant promise. And while it is true that no one can make this decision for you, take comfort and confidence in knowing that you have enormous support system. The people on your left and right in front and behind you, your friends, your family, the other people that make up the community of Christ, the congregation, the, the church. Actually, everybody in this world is on the same journey with the same promise, dealing with the same issues, the same struggles, the same temptations. This is your support system. Not because any one of us has it all right, but because all of us have parts of it wrong. So we can do life right alongside each other. We can encourage each other. We can be a safe outlet for our doubts and fears and, and just wait patiently with each other with anticipation for the good promises that are ahead. This is what the church does because this is what the church was made to do. And if there's anything that any of us can do for you, right? Please don't hesitate to reach out, whether it's me or the person on your left or right or, or someone else you trust. Because, Heather Wright, you can test this, it is a blessing to share that good news. Even if you're right there with them having the same kind of struggles, right? It is such a blessing to, to share that news and hear from your own mouth the goodness of God, the promise of the Savior. As we conclude this series where we've considered the relevancy of prayer and the Bible and the church and the Savior, I want to leave you with this visual image. And, and I was kind of describing this at, at work the other day as you're kind of describing some of the processes that have to happen. And, and I'll kind of, I won't take it out of that context, but I'll put it more in the lines of maybe explaining to your child how to clean something, right? Would you, would you sweep the floor, right? And you, you know, the, the half-hearted pushing of the broom, right? Well, I swept it. You didn't want them to sweep the floor. You wanted them to clean the floor with the broom, right? Or maybe you're working on a piece of wood. You're like, it's not about sanding the wood because I'm done, right? Would you smooth this out using the sandpaper? Prayer, church, the Bible, 
These are tools, okay? We don't have to get better at praying because we need to be awesome prayers. We don't need to open the Bible because we need to be just ultimate authority on the Bible. These are all good things, right? But the purpose is to have the relationship with Jesus, to know God, his character, to understand the promises, to have the hope. And we do that by praying, talking to God, listening to God, reading his word, being a part, an active part of the church and engaged in in Christ's work and ongoing ministry. So it's not about checking the boxes. Those are just the tools and they're important tools, relevant tools that we put into play because you need both the right tool and the right instruction to accomplish what you need to do. There are methods and procedures, but the result of these is the relationship with God that he so deeply wants and we so deeply need and desperately need. We have a savior thanks to a loving heavenly father who wants to restore our connection back the way it was when he first created us to be with him. That is his goal and it should be ours as well. And this is made possible through the gift and promise of the nativity, the cross, and the resurrection. Will you accept the Savior that has already accepted you? Let's make that our prayer as we consider that question. Heavenly Father, when we pause and really answer honestly, is this relevant? Does it matter? There are times when we put other things ahead of our prayer time, our Bible study, our our gathering and doing the work as a church, maybe even considering that we have and need a Savior. But Lord, it absolutely matters. Not because we're trying to check a box or, or meet a minimum requirement that you have for us. You simply say one thing. Accept the wonderful gift of grace that you are offering us so that we can have that relationship with you. Lord, we're not in a hurry to get to heaven, but Lord, we are in a hurry to enjoy the benefits of that relationship with you. So may here be as it is in heaven. May we be in your presence daily and worship you and love you and be loved by you and just celebrate with the people around us. Constant praise, the joy that we have in our hearts. May we be changed for this. May we change others as well. Lord, there's too much good news to keep to ourselves. We want to be like those those shepherds who heard that announcement, I've got a plan for you. Savior's here. A Savior's here. Now run and tell everyone you know. Lord, let that be us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.